This is the Like-Minded Investors Real Estate Podcast, episode number nine. Welcome to the Like-Minded Investors Real Estate Podcast. My name is Kier. And I'm Bill. And today we have Zasha Smith. Um, and I am absolutely excited for people to hear her story. She is an investor from Maui. And if you think that your market's expensive, wait until you hear, uh, some of the (laughs) prices that she is paying for deals in her, in her market. Um, I don't know, Bill, what'd you think about her, about her story? I thought her story was incredible. Like, like every one of our guests and What's crazy is it's not even just the purchase price that's expensive because it's an island. It's also the materials and labor. Shipping yes. stuff to Maui is not cheap, apparently. Yes, yes, I was I was shocked by uh, by the cost of some of her her renovations. Um, so yeah, during this episode, you guys are gonna hear about her um, her flips, her desire to do short term rentals. Uh, she even. Um, is doing some section eight with a, I believe it was a a quadplex that Mm -hmm. she has. So four units that she has that are on section eight. Um, So that was kind of cool because it kind of brought it back to her childhood where, you know, she lived in affordable housing growing up. So it's kind of like bringing it all back like 360, which I thought was kind of a cool story. Um, And if you guys have been following me, you'd know, I really love section eight. We inherited one section eight tenant um and so i'm a big fan of of section 8 my parents did section 8 growing up um so she does touch on that and um i don't know what else i guess the fact that she was able to quit her job last year which is kind of cool um i know bill you're you're desiring to do that at some point <laughs> at some point yeah i mean I, I am slightly envious but at the same time like sasha is just she's just crushing it i mean some of the numbers she mentioned i know maui's a little expensive but you know, she had what four thousand dollars a month in net cash flow from that quad and six figure profits and bur- burring out that money. Like she's absolutely crushing it. Her passive income is steadily growing, and um, yeah, she's she's doing all the things. She's doing partnerships and seller financing, and you know, private and hard money and and gap loans. Like she's she's using all of the strategies together to, um, you know, keep her advantage and, you know, and just crush them. Yeah. That's, that's another thing I love about her story is she's not afraid to pivot and, and use mm-hmm. any strategy that kind of works. So, um, I guess without further ado, let's, let's bring Zasha in. Sounds good. All right, everybody, welcome to the Like-Minded Investors podcast. Today, we have Zasha Smith with us, and I am so excited for uh, everyone to listen to her story. And I just, Zasha, I feel like we've known each other for for quite a while now, and this is like the first time we're actually like speaking like face to, well, Zoom to Zoom, I guess you could call it. (laughs) So I'm super excited that, that you're here and you're here to tell your story. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me and reaching out. Maui is a 
ocean away. So I do appreciate you guys uh, letting me be a part of the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. You're joining from uh, a little bit of a ways away from me and Kira, right? Yeah. Born and raised on Maui. Invest here. I have yet to explore outside of here as far as investing goes, but I'm pretty comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Invest in your, in your backyard sometimes is what they say, right? So if you're comfortable there, why not? Um, so I guess the first question, you know, that we kind of open up with um, is kind of tell us about yourself, about your real estate investing strategy and kind of how you got, um, you know, from where you were until, well, yeah, till where you are now, I guess. <laughs> So I was raised on Maui. I've lived here all my life, except for when I went to college. Um, I did grow up uh, kind of without a lot of money. I lived in the um, affordable housing. And so my goal was always to, you know, make something of myself and do something that will impact the world in some way. And so when I left Maui, I went to college, got a degree in civil engineering, I wanted to, you know, build big buildings and be a part of uh, bigger projects and development. And so when I moved home, uh, we worked, I joined a company here and I worked there for 10 years, but towards the last few years, I really felt like it wasn't my passion. And with a family, it got hard as I moved up um, in the management ranks to really balance my life. And so I told my husband like, hey, you know, I really want to do something different and was trying to figure it out. And we had actually bought a fixer. And this was just me coming from my background, really wanting to live below our means. We bought a fixer, put, you know, it, we bought it around 400,000. We put about 80,000 into it. And I went to the bank one day and I told the teller, I was like, oh my gosh, we just spent all this money on this house. You know, I don't know how we get it back. And she's like, oh, well, you can do a HELOC or a refinance. And I was like, what is that? I had no uh, real financial education. And so through that experience, I learned about all the different loan types that you could get. We refinanced and it actually appraised at 750 in six months. So it was great. Yeah. The appreciation here is crazy. And so we did the refi, we pulled a hundred out and then we also did a HELOC and pulled out, um, another, I think 112. And from there I said, babe, there's something to, you know, this real estate thing that we got to look into because we have basically cash from, from nothing. And so after that, he said, okay, let's try to buy a small, you know, apartment or condo. Let's try to flip it, see how that goes while we're both working full time. He actually owns his own company as well. And we did that and we made, you know, six figures again. And so he's like, okay, this is not by chance anymore. Like you actually know how to find deals. And so from there, I was like going on bigger pockets, you know, just Googling as much as I could. I had never had any kind of real mentorship or been through any program before. It was just kind of learning as I went. And then, um, so I said, hey, okay, well, I'm bigger pockets. This talks about passive income. 
let's try to buy a rental and see how that goes. So I bought a small condo again, because we did have, we have two kids right now and a family. So I'm a little less risk um, tolerant and I want to be safe in the decisions that I do make um, just in case something does happen. So we bought that condo uh, and was able to get a HELOC on that. The same thing, do the bird kind of first strategy. And uh, right now we probably have about 20,000 in equity still, even though we took money out and we get about $900 a month in cash flow. So that was a really good buy. We still have it to this day. And I bought a few more because I knew it worked in that, in that complex. Um, and then from there in 45 days, when I had did my first flip, since I made a hundred thousand, my husband's like, you made more than you made in one year in 45 days. And so that kind of woke me up and was like, yeah. And I'm working, you know, I'm working 60 to 70 hour weeks as a civil engineer, busting my butt and making 70,000. So it, you know, it's just a natural sequence of things to where I finally felt comfortable last year to leave my job and take on, you know, flips and do more active income and, as well as still build my rental portfolio here. Oh my God. I feel like there's so much to dive there's into. So impact, but that's just a general overview. I know. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. So, okay. So you left your job just last year. <clears throat> um, was mm-hmm. that, did that have anything to do with like the, the pandemic or did you choose to, to quit your job because you know, you were doing so so good in real estate. Yeah. So I actually left in January, right before everything. And it was actually at first I was like, darn, I should have just stayed because a lot of my coworkers were now working from home, which is what I wanted to do and be with my kids. But however, like once they had to go back to work, you know, it was the different story. And I felt like it was just a blessing because I did one, I had a very supportive spouse who was like, even if you don't succeed, I'm here to help you. And um, secondly, we did have a good um, amount of rentals already to where I, I already had some passive income coming in to where I didn't really have to worry uh, if this whole, you know, investing thing panned out. Um, but yeah, that's how I just jumped right into it. I love it. <clears throat> I love that you took that leap. Um, so how many, how many, um, rental properties did you have when you, when you quit your job? Um, I mean, you don't have to like be very specific, but kind of like, was it, did you have a number that you wanted to get to as far as monthly income or a specific number of units that you wanted before you quit your job? Was it very planned out or was it just something where you're like, I'm done with this job. Real estate is it for me. I'm going to, I'm going to take the leap. Yeah, it was more of taking the leap and I already had uh, bought a multifamily. It wasn't done yet though. So I didn't have the income yet. We still were under renovations. However, it just came to the end of the year. I was like, you know what? I need to jump into this new year all in and just go for it. And because my husband was so supportive, I felt safe in that regard to where our family would still be taken care of. And then I also was finding more deals, you know, off market to where I felt comfortable, like, hey, if this multifamily something were to go awry, I still have these other deals in the works that could 
make me, you know, a good size, um, active income. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you finding those off market deals? Uh, is that where most of your deals have come from is off market? Um, and then how do you kind of market, I guess, for those types of deals? So I do, I, when I first started, I was going to the foreclosure auctions. So that was all pre um, pandemic and that's where I was finding some pretty, uh, good deals. And then now it's mostly pocket listings from other agents and uh, partnerships. So other people bringing me deals um, as well as just relationships and referrals. Yeah. I feel like that's a huge, I don't know, Bill, you could probably, both of us could speak to that. I feel like the, uh, the networking and, you know, the people that you meet are just they're key in this business. Um, so I, I love that. I do love that you were going to foreclosure sales. Um, that's like, a, I used to do that with my parents. So it kind of brings back memories. <laughs> um, my husband and I, I don't know. Did, so do you buy sight unseen then? No. So you can still go to the property and a few of them, I, a few of them I bought without seeing the inside, but technically you can walk around it. You kind of know have a feel for the area. You can get an ARV and say, okay, look, what's the max that I think I would have to put into this and then just plan for that. So even for my numbers, I'm really conservative in how I run it. And that is what, uh, so I, I pass on a few deals, but like I said, Maui is so small, you really depend on those referrals and then, you know, just run your numbers conservative and it'll all work out. Yeah. I, I am definitely somebody who runs their numbers. Sometimes I feel like I'm a little too conservative with my numbers and that's why we don't, you know, we don't, uh, act on more deals. Um, <laughs> but so how do you run your numbers? So you're, you know, you were talking about ARV and all that stuff kind of, do you have your own Excel spreadsheets? Do you use the bigger pockets calculators? Um, how do you, how do you ensure that your deal, um, you know, you're, you're actually going to make money on, on these deals. So for my rentals, I use the bigger pockets calculators. Uh, and I like that they have different ones for, you know, birth strategy. If you're just to rent it out, if you were to flip it, uh, but I joined the mentorship, uh, Ryan Pineda's all-star coaching program, and they have a few other, um, tools as well to help you with flips and really get down, you know, better numbers for yourself. So that's what I've been using more recently because I'm more focused on doing flips right now. Okay. That's cool. Um, oh my gosh. So yeah, let's talk real quick. I know, uh, gosh, I love Ryan Pineda. Um, like so jealous that you're, that you're a part of his program. Um, do you think that that's been kind of like a, a integral, what's that word? I'm not going to use that word. I'm going to use a different one. Uh, a key <laughs> reason um, for your success was kind of being part of a program. Definitely. I feel like just the um, networking aspect and being around other people who are doing the same thing as you. When I first started and I was going to the auctions, it was kind of like, I would want to say dog eat dog, but like every man for themselves kind of deal. And there is just, you know, it's very intimidating. And so even to just talk to somebody there, nobody wants to talk to you because they're scared you're going to outbid them. So that's kind of how I jumped into it. But now everything is like relationship based and, you know, I help you, you help me. That's that um, 
you know, abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset has really been a game changer for me. And even through going through Steve Rosenberg's um, program as well, that really helped open my eyes to be, to think bigger and to realize like you can accomplish so much more by working together versus working against people. Yeah. I, so that's actually how Zosh and I met Bill, um, was from Steve Rosenberg's program. And, um, I, I, like, I just, I learned so much. Like, I feel like a lot of his stuff is based on mindset. And I think, I feel like all of a sudden we're talking a lot about mindset on this podcast, but I think that it's a huge, a huge factor in success. It seems like the people that have the right mindset are almost the most, I don't want to say the most successful, but it's like, I don't know, everybody we talk to the mindset piece is so important, um, to their success. Yeah. I think it's a, I don't, I don't think it's right to maybe compare success, but I think having the right mindset definitely puts you on the path to how you define success. Um, Right. And it's that belief in yourself, right? I know mindset is the the buzzword right now, but it's really believing in yourself Mm -hmm. and then working with other people that will get you to places that you never thought you could. Like, I never thought that I would be, you know, in quitting my job last year, be at nine rental units and have six flips going on. Like, I never would have thought that I would be able to handle so much, but because I'm around people who do it all the time, I'm encouraged And I changed my belief to be like, hey, you got this. You can do it. Like if a deal comes, just grab it. You'll figure it out. So that's that's kind of where the shift came to where like, okay, I start with one and then I go to the next one and then I go to the next. Instead, it's like, you know, if a deal comes, let's do it. I have a team. If I got a partner, if I have to, you know, get a new crew, like we figure it out. So that that has really helped me to grow and scale. I I love that. It's not it's not a no, it's more of a, how can I? Right. I think that's very powerful. Ooh, I like that title, title of this episode, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, so, okay. So you have, you said you have nine units, you have six flips going on right now. I am curious how you handle that all. Do you like, what kind of systems and processes do you have a team? How, like, how in the heck do you handle all of that at once? Well, a lot of them I am partnering on and two of them are just uh, two are ADUs. So those are two different um, projects. But I've learned that I don't want to be constantly in the field, going to Lowe's, going to Home Depot, you know, doing all the runaround stuff. Like they say, what's the dollar per hour cost for you to be there versus you hiring it out. So I learned that early on is like, it's okay to split the profit if I have to, I can be somewhere that is more of a worth my time. Um, so that's how I have those flips going on is just partners. And so I take care of, well, in a few, so I have different partners that do different things. So one does more of the contracting side. So I've partnered with a contractor who handles the project management and all that. I handle the numbers, um, the money, I bring the money, um, partners and all that kind of stuff too, because most of our projects, we raise private money. And so my other partner, she does most of the numbers, keep track of that. And then I bring the money to her as well. 
in that partnership. So as long as people bring me the deal, I'm, I can find the money. <laughs> I feel like that's awesome though, that you, that you're able to find the money so easily. If someone, you know, if you have a good deal, I do feel like we hear that a lot. If you have a good deal, the money will come. So, um, you said, you know, you're, you're able to raise the private money kind of, uh, walk us through that process. Like how, how have you been able to raise private money? Do you use presentations? Um, is it just more of a no like, and trust factor? Um, kind of walk us through how you're actually able to, to get the money for these deals. So initially when I was out there going to all the showings, you know, especially I still look for deals on market. And so that's how I kind of meet people who are really active as well, other investors. And one of the investors that I met is a little bit older. He had, we had built a rapport prior to that. We're like, Hey, what's your numbers on this? You know, kind of sharing where we're at to see if we were right or not, or if somebody was off and then we talk about it. And so at one of the houses that we looked at, I called him after and said, Hey, are you going to put a bid? And he's like, Oh, I don't know if I want to continue doing all this work, you know, flipping and dealing with contractors. And I think I want to get into lending. And I was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll take your money if you want to give it to me. <laughs> and so he's like, sure, no, let's talk about it. I was like, really? Okay. So we just had like a dinner um, one night and talked to his wife and just built that rapport, build that trust. I had like a full presentation, you know, ready and everything. He didn't even really look at it. He was just like, you know, I know you know how to find good deals. Just show me the numbers and we can work it out from there. Um, so he is my biggest I always go to him first because he lends um, the most. And he asked me like, hey, I know there might be ways you can get cheaper money, but I just asked that since I'm lending the full purchase price and everything, like just to give you a little. So one of our latest deals is around, we're asking for 750,000. So he's able to come up with that. And he is also lending on one of my other deals. And he lent me like, 565,000. So they're pretty big deals. Um, and I haven't really had to find too many other, like I found some gap funders um, for when we use hard money for with other partners, but yeah, he comes with all the money. Do you want to define um, just for, you know, the new people listening exactly what gap funding is? Um, I feel like that's something that, you know, a lot of people don't a hundred percent understand. So with my private lender, he will lend 100% um, of the purchase price and 100% of the rehab. However, you might deal with other either hard money lenders or other private money lenders who want some of your skin in the game. So they'll say, hey, you know, we'll lend on 80%. You got to come up with 20 or we'll lend on the purchase price, but you got to come with the rehab. So I've had lenders who only want to lend 80% and I have to go find private money for the other 20%. So that's gap funding is the difference between the two. Yeah. So, um, I, Bill, I feel like I'm monopolizing this conversation tonight, <laughs> but it's I did fine. just, I had one question about your market. I feel like Maui, isn't it expensive? Um, like how, like, What's your response to people who say that they can't invest because their market is too expensive? I feel like you're in a pretty expensive market or am I wrong? 
No, yeah, our the news just came out that the average three bedroom household is probably selling for about a million dollars. So that is where our our price point is. Um, and you know, like they always say, deals are not found; they're made. So I've been able to even get seller finance on some deals and find people who are, you know, a lot of people are in distress or they let the house go for so long and it's in disrepair. So that's the majority of the people that um, we are dealing with is they want to sell at a discounted price because there is something going on either in their personal life or something with the house that it needs a major rehab. And we're talking our rehabs are 200 to 300,000. So they're, they're pretty high price point rehabs as well. Wow. What makes them, what makes them so expensive? I mean, obviously I'm sure Maui just is more expensive to begin with, but wow. What makes, what makes a rehab 200 to 300,000? Like, what are you, what are you doing to these rehabs? (laughs) Well, most of them are full gut rehabs. Um, but also, I mean, to ship anything here, you know, or fly it here, there's no other way you can't drive it here. So that adds to all the pricing um, and trying to get materials here in a reasonable time. So that's about, you know, if you even to order appliances takes like three, four, sometimes six months, it, it does get costly there, but also labor here is pretty, is high and what's expected because if materials price is high, you know, labor is high, cost of living is high. So everything just adds on each other. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. But I was going to say, it's also like somewhat relative in the sense that even though a house might be worth a million dollars, like your margins are still, you're looking for whatever your margins are, right? So if you're looking for a hundred thousand dollar profit, that might be 10% still or whatever. So it's still kind of all relative. Mm-hmm. That being said, coming up with 25% down might be hard for some people, but if you have private funding or hard money, obviously a little easier. Yeah. So I'm curious, Zasha, how did you, um, how many of these deals um, did you, were you able to find seller financing on and how did you, was that something you were after or did it just kind of like come about where it was the best situation for the seller, for them to offer seller financing? Or was it something like, you're like, I'm going to go after seller financing. Like, here's my strategy. Well, just recently in the beginning of this year, I um, joined another mentorship, uh, Pace Morby Sub 2, and they talk about creative finance. So I had never really, I thought you buy a house cash or you buy it with a conventional loan or hard money or some kind of private money. But I never knew that you could actually work with the sellers, potentially partner with them or have, have do seller finance. Like I, I had no idea about that. So that was a huge learning um, curve for me the beginning of this year. So I kind of just tried it out. So my first um, deal, I think in April, I got a, a property under contract where I actually partnered with the sellers and I brought the rehab funds. They kept the loan in place. We fixed up the home and then we split the profit in the end. So that worked out for both of us because they wanted a little bit more than what the cash offer was. I said, hey, why don't we partner and we can do it this way. We get paid out at escrow, like everything's handled through them. So we didn't have to worry about, you know, giving each other money because that gets a little 
you know, hard to coordinate. But another deal came along where the seller was like, hey, I want this much. I was like, oh, but this is my cash offer. Since you own it outright, you know, is there a way that I could just pay you interest for the amount of time that we're doing the renovations? And so he was open to that. He said, yeah, if I get a little bit more, then I just need this certain amount of months to cover this bill. If you can give me that, then, you know, I'll finance it. So he was pretty open. He's pretty specific on what exact the exact amount was. And then we figured out the percentage from there and it's still our number still works. So that's how that one came about. And it was more so owners don't really know that they have that option either. So if you bring it up and they're curious, they can figure it out. Like everything in, in Hawaii is done through a title company. So I assure them like, this is all legit. Like the title company handles everything. I never touch your money or vice versa. And they feel really comfortable with that. And they have their own lawyers who can draft up promissory notes and draft up mortgages and write everything out. That makes a lot of sellers feel comfortable as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. That is so funny. I forget who, what was it? Chris from last week, we were just talking about how a lot of this is, especially with the seller financing, um, it's a lot of like education and just kind of like, like just what you said, Sasha, sellers don't know what they don't know. Like they don't know that some of these other options exist and they aren't, um, scams. Like they're actually like legit people out there who can partner with them on these properties and on these deals and kind of, it's almost like you're, you're flipping their house with them. So that, that is really cool. I love that. Me too. Yeah. So, um, moving on, I guess, um, I'm curious to know, I have seen your Instagram and have seen you, uh, literally going door to door and just like knocking on people's doors. Like how, like, where does that confidence come from? And what do you say when somebody (laughs) comes to the door? I feel like that is like my worst, like, like fear. I don't know if I'd ever be able to do it. I am just like, I, I love that you're able to do that. So tell us kind of how you're able to do that door, door knocking and, and where that confidence comes from. So when I go to other people's house, I try to envision my family member or a friend uh, answering the door and really coming from a place of wanting to help people. And if I'm the right solution, I'm not there trying to buy their house or worried that I want to get the deal. It's more so hey, I uh, was driving past your house and was interested to know if you were wanted to sell it. Like I'm, and I'm not really that good with words and fluid either. So I get really nervous and, but I more so think about if I can help this person, then I'll leave them better off than just passing by their house and not doing anything. So just that coming from that problem solver mentality, um, versus like sales mentality, right, has has really helped me just in my investing career in general. I feel like that I still get nervous. Don't don't worry about that is definitely something that will always be there. But I just kind of like force myself out of the car. You know, it's kind of like, when I quit my job, it's like, you just got to force yourself out and, and just do it. And think of it as coming from a place of helping. 
Oh my gosh. I love that. I feel like, uh, we, like I, I, this is probably like the third time I've talked about him, but Chris from last week, um, he was kind of talking about being a problem solver. And I feel like that is a huge factor into people's, um, success. I feel like if you're truly just wanting to help people, um, you, you know, you're just that much more successful because you don't care so much about not that you don't care about the deal, but it's like, you care more about the person and solving, uh, the problem or issue or whatever they're having, um, than, than the deal. So that's really cool. I feel like that's kind of a, a running theme so far with the people we've had on here. Everybody just wants to actually help people. They're not, they're not just in it for the deal. Why don't you say that bill? I totally would. And one other thing to add is Chris, Chris, although he doesn't do the door knocking, he mm-hmm. was doing phone calls and things like that. And he too gets nervous. Yes. So it, it's totally okay. We talked about being comfortable within the uncomfortable. I think it's what we said, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, this just aligns perfectly with that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it. Oh, I just, I still don't know if I'd be able to door knock though, even though I tr- I have a passion for helping people. I just, <laughs> I don't know if I'd be able to, to do door knocking. Bill, would you be able to do door knocking? I think so. I, I, I don't know if like at first I would be able to come off as a problem solver. I think I would come off a little salesy just because I don't know how else I would come off. But um, I think with practice, I think I could do it. Yeah, I feel pretty talkative. I am a podcast host. I think I could figure it out. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, but that, that being said, I, I don't know if I would do it. I, I don't know. We'll see. Well, when some are like super suspicious, right? They open the door, like, you know, creep through the windows and what are you doing in my lot? Why are you here? You know, so there has been a lot of confrontational people who have been at the door, but I'm like, hey, I'm just here. I just am walking around the neighborhood, you know, seeing if anybody wants to sell. I notice, you know, some um, broken down cars in the front. Is there any way I can help with that? I know of a county program that can tow it for free if you want their info. So I just, like I said, just coming with information and then also from that place of not pressuring them. Yeah. Oh, that's That's so cool. I didn't even think of that. That's a really good idea. Like just having that information of, yeah, being able to tow the cars in the front yard. Cause you know, I feel like a lot of properties have, (laughs) have those kind of, I know we inherited a property that had like four, um, run down cars in the in the parking lot and the problem was they didn't know what to do with them so it was kind of like we kind of tried to help them figure out what to do with those cars so i love that i love that you come with solutions and even if all they use is your information for towing that car like i don't know it's you, you still help them you didn't get the deal but you still help them i love that yeah so, if you put the good in the world it'll it'll come back put it out into the universe. I forget who we were talking to about that, but putting things out into the universe and (laughs) it'll come back to you tenfold for sure. Um, so I feel like when you and I were in that program with Steve, we, you know, we were kind of taught to write down our goals and to review them like all the time. Um, is that something you're still doing? Are you on track with your goals? Did you, 
Uh, I feel like maybe what, that was like a year ago ish. So kind of, have you achieved those goals that we had written down when we first met each other and kind of, where are you at with all that? I think my goals are always changing, especially when it comes to the end of a quarter. And I look back at the three months and think, okay, what did I do? How did, how did my investing strategy change? You know, where am I at? So every month I always set goals, um, but I don't, you know, they're very lenient uh, because I know that I'm trying a lot of new things or different things. And especially with how things are right now uh, with the Ethereum and um, the, what is that? The mortgage moratorium thing. What is it called? Yeah. Moratorium. Yep. Yeah. Eviction moratorium. Yeah. yeah. So with that going on, I definitely have uh, shifted my mindset of what risk I'm willing to take if a tenant, you know, tries to, to take advantage of the help that's out there as far as not paying rent. And so that's why I'm so heavily right now focused on flipping and because it's a high market. Um, yeah, it's just month by month by month, I kind of change it, but I have overall goals for the year and that's not really changed, but it's more so, you know, I always do uh, family goals, health goals on top of active and passive income. So I try to more so keep the balance of things that's more important to me than actually hitting my investing goals and and other you know business goals it's more so have I kept the balance with my family do I need to pull back a little bit more or can I step on the gas a little bit more so that's how I right now measure my goals I love that Oh my gosh. So do I. So another thing that actually brings to mind, um, on your Instagram, because I just love following you, um, your morning routine. So I know I was the one that technically started hashtag morning routine for success, but I feel like you have probably been the most consistent with it. Like, I feel like I log on Instagram and all of the time I see Zasha hashtag morning routine for success, like on a treadmill, like, <laughs> um, do you think that that has contributed to your success? Do you believe in the morning routine and kind of, um, that's kind of what sets you up for a successful day? Oh, definitely. Because I have a family kids just juggling so much. I have to get up early. So I get up at between four 30 and five start my day. I just jump on the treadmill automatic. And that kind of helps one, wake me up two get the stress out of me from the day before and three, just help prepare my mind and Zen a little bit, have a little bit me time before I'm hustling and bustling with the kids and the business and trying to fit everything into the day. So it's definitely shifted me into the waking up, like, you know, rushing versus waking up and being prepared. So that is the shift and the, the biggest difference in me is I can feel like I can fit everything into the day instead of, oh shoot, I didn't have enough time for this. I mean, you always, you always uh, change around whatever is happening through the day, but as long as you plan, try to plan for it, you can get a lot more in. So what does your, what does your morning look like? I know obviously it has 
to do with the treadmill first thing, but kind of, uh, <laughs> what else, <laughs> what else do you do for your, for your morning routine that kind of, you know, gets you psyched for the day? So I wake up, work out after I'm done with that, I make a list of three things that I have to do for the day, like major things that I have to get done. And then also include the other little things, you know, tasks that need to get done as well. And then, um, from there, just shower, kind of meditate a little bit, just relax and then boom, start with the day. Oh my so gosh. Sometimes I drink coffee, but not all the time. It's a special treat. Bill knows I am. I, uh, I was <laughs> drinking like 40 ounces of coffee every day and I am finally declining on that. I think I actually haven't had coffee now in four days. So, um, I I'm kind of proud of that. Not that I, I do love coffee. It's just, I don't know. It seems like you can get addicted to it almost. So <laughs> I'm like, I think I need to, I need to back off on that. Uh, Bill, do you have any questions for Zasha before yeah. I completely change the subject again? <laughs> I do. Speaking of Instagram and all of that kind of fun stuff. One of my favorite things about you, I think there's Two people that come to mind that I am particularly fond of when it comes to the reels. And it's Bonnie, who was on episode three, and you. And <laughs> they are my favorite thing. They are so funny, so creative. And we, me and Kira both tried doing reels for the podcast, and they're, they're quite hard. They are so, like, so hard. <laughs> oh, my God. How, <laughs> this might be a selfish question, but, like, how, how do you do it? And how do you get so creative and funny and clever? Like, they're awesome. So it is, I mean, social media in itself, it's an, it's a full-time side job. Mm-hmm. Like it's of effort, just like, you know, doing this podcast, putting it together. It's, I spend probably about two to three hours a day thinking of content, making the content and then putting posts uh, that are relatable and then also commenting back, right? Because Mm -hmm. it is a social network. So engagement matters as well. And um, when I I wanna make a reel, I just go to the reels section of the ones that are already made. So when you click on that button, you'll see the most recent ones. You pick a trending sound um, and then think about how it will relate to your niche. And so a lot of times I just record it, like I see, whatever the trending reel is, I record it. And then I, you know, think about it later on of what I'm going to say or what wording I'm going to put. But initially you can just follow whatever they're doing on there. And then from there, I always, I, I think it, it's become fun because I think, okay, how can I make this funny? Or I do something and I crack up at myself and try to make it fun because it is part of your business. Yeah. Right. And part of reaching out to people and, getting more people to listen to you. So I try to make it relatable and funny and not so much more of work than it is, you know, a little bit of play too. Well, I don't know about everybody who watches, but I can tell that you're having fun. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, I think also too, I feel like they're, they're educational. You know what I mean? Um, especially for like mm-hmm. the newer investor. I think that your reels just like, tell how it is. And I love, I love that about, about what you're putting out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> we all, we, we all should make just a reel right now. Let's <laughs> right now. 
Yeah, so, and I mean, in the in the post part too, in the caption, I always try to put like, even just today, I put one on a kitchen remodel, like what to do, the main things to do, uh, you know, open up walls, brighten it up, put an island for more counter space. So yeah, I try to add value, even though it might be like a funny reel or something like that. I try to get more um, engagement that way as well. Yeah, yeah. All right. So to bring it back a little bit from the fun stuff, um, (laughs) I am curious what your, um, best deal has been to date kind of, uh, give us like, I don't know if you want to give us the rundown on numbers or if you just want to tell us the story behind your most favorite deal. Um, but has it been, you know, I know you're in the process of six flips right now. Um, and you have, what'd you say? Nine units, I think. So what has been kind of your favorite deal, um, to date and has it been your most lucrative deal or was it something that you learned from and didn't actually, you know, make any money on? Was it more educational than lucrative? Definitely my favorite deal. I mean, I will always love rentals. That's, that is my goal is a passive income. So the beginning of last year during, you know, right before everything went crazy, I had actually bought a fourplex. It was super run down. I tried to, I got it um, off market and then was going to wholesale it to other investors. So I had, you know, a bunch of investors that I knew come walk through it. They're like, oh my God, this thing is a teardown. You know, just everybody was like, no, 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 it's too much work. And so I was like, okay, I'll put it on the market and see what happens. I put it on the market, had um, a cash buyer, everything was going fine. And then boom, right? The pandemic hit, he lost his office, his employees, everything kind of went crazy. So he dropped out and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take it on myself (laughs) and do it. Like, let's do it. Um, So went through with the renovation. So I bought it at uh, 331 was a purchase price. And I put about, oh, I think 150 into it, into the renovations. And um, it took probably about eight, eight or nine months. And from there I did, you know, the birth strategy, it appraised at 650. So I was able to pull all my money back out. And now I have um, four renters. Uh, most of them are HUD or section eight. And I'm cash flowing probably about $4,000 a month net. And I love the tenants there. I mean, it just, it kind of comes full circle because I lived in affordable housing where I'm able to help Section 8 tenants. It is in an area that is more, um, there's a lot of older homes in the area. So a lot more locals kind of live there as well. And my tenants just everybody just renewed their lease. Like, so last year was the first year and then they just renewed their lease for this year and just so appreciative and thankful. And it makes me feel, you know, I'm getting my cash flow, no money into it. Plus helping, you know, people that appreciate um, the rental, because even for us, you know, we had done not a lot of the work in this one ourselves, but it takes a lot of work to do this. So when somebody moves in, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so nice. We appreciate it. Thank you so much to, for picking us for your rental. And 
if that's the whole vibe and in, in the whole fourplex, it's like, wow, you know, I'm actually making a difference and doing something right. So that is my, definitely my favorite deal. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. Were you planning on doing section eight? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because of the area, I knew it wouldn't um, bring, you know, because Maui is, is such a touristy place, it would be more so people that were lower income. So I kind of expected that. Yeah. Yeah. We inherited um, one Section 8 tenant. My parents <clears throat> growing up had a bunch of Section 8 tenants and my husband and I um, inherited a Section 8 tenant in, when was that? 2018, I think. Um and they're like my favorite tenants too. Like so appreciative. And I love the fact that, especially during the pandemic, um, you don't have to worry about, you know, whether or not you're going to get paid. So, um, I thought that was kind of cool aspect of section eight too, but, um, is there a huge, so in our area, there is a huge waiting list for section eight. Um, is it the same way in Maui? Yeah, it's like years. So yeah. I knew a girl who waited like four years until she actually came up. So it's a long, long process for them. And a lot of people have asked me too, like, how is it renting to HUD or Section 8? You know, it should be, we, we'd be worried about accepting. I said, it, it's all in your due diligence, right? Like you would vet them like you would ever, anybody else. Or do they meet the credit score? criteria do they meet the income I mean with the help and assistance but you know do they have good recommendations from their past rent rentals you go and meet them talk to them you know really find out who they are and everything will work out if you if you pick the right person I mean nothing is guaranteed right in life even somebody who doesn't have assistance might be a crazy renter Um, but you never know as long as you do the most to kind of keep the crazies out, then you should be good. Keep the crazies out. Maybe that should be the episode title. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, no, I do. I, I completely understand though. It's uh, like, we didn't choose our section eight tenant, but um, I completely agree. You know, doing your due diligence, it's the same as any other renter. Um, but also because there's such a huge waiting list, it's kind of like, I heard somebody else talking, I forget who it was. It was somebody from bigger pockets. Um, they were talking about how you kind of have quote unquote, the pick of the litter, um, with the section eight, because there's such like a huge waiting list, which I don't like to think of it that way, but it is kind of the truth. Um, because there are so many people on that list, uh, you do have to do your, do your due diligence and, um, you know, find, find the right fit for, for the property. So yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't believe it's been almost an hour already. Um, Bill, do you have any other questions for Zasha? I have a couple more, but I don't want to like, you know, run over too much time. Okay. Go ahead. So Maui, it seems like kind of is very almost like split in two, right? It's the locals and then it's the non-local tourists. Right. And COVID aside, I would imagine that like short term is a big thing. So is that something that you're looking into at all? Yes. So because I have so many long, long term rentals, I feel comfortable now moving into that space because to me, uh, like I said, I'm very conservative. So I have to know that 
in case another pandemic hits or just in case I can't get any renters in there, will that uh, short-term rental work as a long-term rental? So that's a huge difference in evaluating those two. And as far as investing in both of them, as long as you know, you're doing you know, your best to, to keep, for me, because I'm local here, I have my local renters and then I have you know, my short term because at the end of the day too, we all gotta make money as well. But I don't think there's ever like, it's not the, oh, well, they're only investing in short term or they're not local and they're not from here. You know, it's not really that. It's like, I think just when people come here with that mindset of like, this is a tourist spot. We're just going to do whatever we want and, you know, treat people however we want to treat them. And it kind of reminds me, some people have that like Cancun mentality, right? When they come here and they're just out here to party and do whatever they want. But this is still like a very family oriented place. Hawaii is very beautiful and we love our beaches and want to keep it clean. And definitely we probably have the most strictest, um, guidelines right now for COVID, like you cannot go in to eat at restaurants if you're not vaccinated anymore. Like they just put the mandate in September 15th. Um, and I totally forgot. And one of my friends, me and my friend went to go eat and they weren't. So it was, it's kind of been uh, crazy, but it's been good because our numbers were low in the beginning. That's awesome. I love that you're exploring different strategies. Um, you, you have your long-term, you have your flips. Now you're thinking about short-term rentals. Like, I think, uh, it's kind of cool not to put, I mean, you're still all, all your eggs are in one basket as far as real estate is concerned, but you're still like, you know, you're, you're at least diversifying within the real estate realm. So that's kind of cool. We're actually thinking about, um, next spring slash summer, um, Airbnb our, uh, current primary residents. So maybe I'll have to talk to you in the next couple months about what you learned about short-term rentals, because, uh, it's something that we're, we're thinking about exploring. So <clears throat> that's kind of cool. All right. Um, I guess that kind of wraps up this episode, unless Bill, do you have any last questions for Zasha? No, no more okay. questions. <laughs> Sasha, this was amazing. I feel like I learned so much about you during this episode. I thought I knew, I thought I knew it all, but obviously not because Instagram doesn't share it all, but, um, I love what you're doing and you are definitely an inspiration and I appreciate you coming on this episode or this podcast so much. So if you want to tell people, uh, where they can, find out more about you or connect with you, uh, your Instagram handle. I don't know if you have a website. Um, if you just want to throw it all out there, now's your, your chance to, uh, kind of promote or, um, uh, you know, talk about where people can find you and your website and all that stuff. I am most active on Instagram at invest with Sasha. Uh, I, I tried TikTok. I tried these other, um, social platforms, but it's just a lot to, to keep up with. So that's the best message me anytime. Uh, feel free to ask me any questions. I'm pretty open and laid back. Uh, but other than that, yes, just hit me up on Instagram. And that's, uh, invest with Zasha, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we appreciate you being on so much. 
Um, and maybe we'll have to have a, have a little, maybe all the people we've had on so far, Bill, we should have on again in, uh, in the new year and see where they're at. So kind of, I would love to know real quick before we hop off here, kind of, do you have any specific goals that you want to accomplish before the end of 2021? Definitely buy a short-term rental. We'll see what that's like. Um, I, right now I'm shooting towards hopefully getting passive income to about 15,000 by the end of the year per month. Um, But definitely trying to expand into other strategies in real estate, whether that be commercial as well. So I don't know, I'm kind of all over the place with my end goal. Like I said, very fluid, very lenient and just trying, you know, trying new things. That is what I always say is the beauty of real estate there. You can pivot, you can change your strategy. You can, um, you know, go from one strategy to another and like, it's all still within real estate, but you are all like, there's always something to learn and something new to do and, uh, a new way to make money off of real estate. And so I love that you are open to all of those different, different strategies and, and ways about going or ways of going about it. (laughs) Bring me a deal and I can find the money. (laughs) Yes. There you go. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Sasha. We absolutely loved having you on. Um, and, uh, we look forward to having you on hopefully again in 2022. Thank you guys. Thanks.